What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline.com. I, I don't have any credits, Matt. I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be in out <laughs> oh, of the cold. Only if you. We don't have time for all of your credits. That's the <laughs> yeah. issue. Can I tell you something? This week, we're doing a show where we barely have time for everybody's credits on it. Are you kidding me? We are joined by, among many things, DGA, Emmy, and Peabody Award-winning director Amy Schatz, producer Mike Jackson, and the absolutely amazing, and as you pointed out last week, EGOT winner John Legend talking about their new documentary, Stand Up and Shout, Songs from a Philly High School. Yeah, it's an HBO documentary film that is so inspirational. And I think it was just a, a fantastic conversation that we had with them. Really gave us, a, I thought, a lot of insight into, among other things, John Legend's creative process. And of course, he's been remarkably successful. His production partner is Mike Jackson. I know a friend of yours uh, of long standing. Yeah, Mike is a, a really terrific guy. And what I love about their production company, Get Lifted, is that they're doers. They don't wait for permission. They go out and create the things that they think have real impact. And this film is about sophomores at the Hill Friedman World Academy in uh, Philadelphia and a program that all these students are required to go through. And it's music and it's creation and it's incredibly powerful. And more than anything, there's a moment in this conversation where John Legend drops some vocabulary that I've never heard before. This is one of the most learned individuals. He's just, he's got it all. He's got it all. He does. And it, we're, we're so happy that a guy who's got so much going on believes in his own product so much that he's willing to go out and stand in front of it. That's a true champ. Here's our conversation with director Amy Schatz, producer Mike Jackson, and the absolutely amazing John Legend about their film, Stand Up and Shout, Songs from a Philly High School. We're joined this morning by uh, director Amy Schatz and producers Mike Jackson and another dude that you may have heard of, John Legend. They are producers of the new HBO documentary produced by Get Lifted, their film company, Stand Up and Shout Songs from a Philly High School. I'll say very quickly, this is pretty much the story that we need right now. It's young people, it's inspiration, it's coming together. And here's always the kind of thing that's interesting to me. We've done a couple of documentaries with young people, and I'm at the age right now where I'm always stunned, and I want to be careful how I say this. They are smart, they are articulate, they are soulful, and they have so much depth. And it's a reminder to cavemen like me that, um, as Whitney said, children are our future. Congratulations on the documentary all the way around. Mike, I've known you for a while. You are an incredibly capable individual. John, I assume pretty much everyone on the planet knows you at this point. Uh, you're talented at so many different things. Obviously, music is at the core of all this. Amy, you're new to me, but your resume, I mean, eight Emmy Awards, seven Directors Guild Awards, three Peabody Awards, Parents' Choice Awards. I mean, other than a People's Choice Award for country music, I think you've won pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you're a Philly native, Mike, you're a Philly native, and John, um, not a Philly native, but, but University of Pennsylvania, right? So it's set in Philly. It's about young people. Amy, I think um, you first heard about this school, if that's correct. But just break this down for us. This is a school in Philly. It's very unique. And they have a very unique music program. Talk about this. Talk about these young people. and Talk about how you came to this story. I agree. I think we always learn something when we listen to young people. They're smart, they're deep, they're original. And I love making films with kids and talking with them about the world around them. This project started when I learned about a crisis, though, among young people. In December of 2021, the Surgeon General released a report about the declining mental health of children. He talked about hopelessness, about sadness, about depression in young people, and called it the crisis of our time. I was alarmed when I read this, and I wondered if we could go out and talk with young people and hear what was on their minds and what was going on in their lives. What were their stresses, and how were they faring? So, And in my research, I was reading education news, and I saw an article about a music program in a Philadelphia public high school, and I was intrigued. It was um, a program, a required music class for 10th graders at a school called Hill Friedman World Academy, in which the 10th graders are asked to create original songs and by the end of the year to produce an album of their music. I thought maybe this is a vehicle, a way to look at how kids are feeling, what was going on in their lives. And as you say, it not only is a story of a musical journey, the film is also charting a kind of recovery. And that's how we came to it. We were invited in to record the magic of what happened that year. Um, and that's that's how it began. You're going to tell me all of the words that pop into your head when you think about explosion. I'll go first. Bang. <laughs> what else? Boom. Boom. Pow. Fire. Fire. What you didn't notice was I saw that you had a hook right away with your first three words. As soon as you came with that bang, boom, pow, that's, that right there could start our hook. Yeah, I got yeah. an idea for the first thing, right? Like a bang. Oh, I like that. So he said, bang, boom, bang. My thoughts are running wild. I'm in a bad mood. Yeah, it really is magical seeing these young people as well as the adults that are with them. So this is a program at this at the school, at the Hill Friedman Academy. And these are uh, ninth graders, 10th graders, who are basically, as you say, they're tasked with putting together an album, which I, I got, <laughs> no pun intended, this almost left my mouth, but John, I got to imagine that's music to your ears when you're hearing that young people want to put together music in any regard. So you've got Amy, you've got an amazing resume. Um, Get Lifted does amazing things. First, how did you all come together and say, we got to put this in front of a lot of folks and we got to put this together in front of individuals? And Mike, I know you, you're just a go-getter. When you say you're going to do things, you get them done. But how did this come together just as a documentary? And then I want to break it down what this documentary, um, not just is about, but actually the process, because they really put together an album. It's not just you're having a music class from, uh, well, we'll get into that from beginning to end, but they put together an album. So how do you get lifted become part of this? Yeah, I mean, we're always looking for really fun, interesting subjects and worlds and subcultures. And we have a pretty extensive documentary resume and we also have a deal with HBO. So in partnership with HBO, we're either pitching them stuff or they're bringing us stuff. So they knew that we wanted to do something that was heartfelt and musical, but wasn't um, generically music because we always hear music ideas. 
So when we heard about Amy's project, it just felt so on brand for us. It felt like um, a calling card for music education and arts education. It was set in, in our favorite city of Philadelphia, at least time my favorite city of Philadelphia, <laughs> and John, John's adopted city. So all of the elements were there, but at the core, it was a story about a group of kids and a group of educators that were working together lock and step to put an album together. And it just felt like on brand and something that we wanted to get behind. You know, John, I know part of being a successful person is delegating, and I know you you are doing so much. But at the same time, you know, you are involved, and you are, whether yeah. it's it's signing off on things or, or or seeing things, you've built a brand. And I mean that in the Go most ahead. sincere fashion, and, and everybody wants to protect that. For you, I'm just curious, your days, just as overviewing this or seeing this, um, and I know in some regards, because of your name, they're, they're stepping back a little bit, not letting people get overwowed. But being part of it, how do you just, this is partly for me, but partly for the audience, how does someone at your level maintain equality? Is it trusting people like Mike and Amy and saying, I've got these partners, and also knowing the power of music and saying, look, these kids, they just need a platform. They can do the rest on their own. Well, it really is built on trust, first of all. Um, trusting Mike to run Get Lifted Film Company and vet the projects that get presented to us, vet the ideas that get presented to us, vet the people who we work with. All of that depends on trust. And then Mike likes to discuss uh, the Mike test that he has for every project that comes to us. And it's MIC test. So can I put John in front of a microphone and feel that he'll be proud of this project and confidently go out and represent this project to the world? Because a lot of times, even though I'm doing a lot of things before a film comes out, a lot of my value comes after it comes out, right. uh, giving it the attention that it deserves, getting you know the press attention and the audience attention that it deserves. And he, one of his big tests for every project is, do I feel confident putting John out there on a microphone representing this project that he'll be proud to talk about it? And this project passed that test with flying colors. And the reason why it's so cool to me is the things that you talked about, the fact that it's in the schools, the fact that it's tapping into this wisdom and creativity and experience that young people have, the fact that it actually ends in an album. I think that's a key factor in what makes this class work so well, because one of the issues I think with music education Sometimes it can be so focused on learning the theory, learning the more nerdy side of it, but never give people the payoff of accomplishing something. And I think having a defined ending for the school year saying, no matter what we do, we're going to make an album, we're going to make music videos, giving kids something to work toward and be excited about in a group having accountability toward each other, and then knowing that they're working toward an end that's going to be really satisfying, I think is a really powerful device for this school. It's a powerful pedagogical device for the school. And I think showing that process is really cool for the viewer. And I think it's exciting and inspiring to see the stories that these kids have, the experiences they have, the challenges, the trauma that they've had in their lives translated into art and into a project that they can work on together. All right, I have to back up just a minute because my new thing in life is that I admit my own stupidity. Pedagogical. Pedagogical. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what? It just means 
You can't it's drop kind of a 50,000 pound rock on my head. He's just <laughs> showing off because he's an Ivy League dude. He's just showing Jesus. off. That's all right. It's, a, it's kind of the practice of teaching. So um, when, you say, when you say something's pedagogy or pedagogical, it's like what works in the process of teaching. So basically what I'm saying is it's a great tool for a teacher to use, giving them a defined ending that they'll reach a goal by the end of the year that's something they can show off to the world that'll be really satisfying. That's a great way to teach someone the skills that they learn in, in this class. Yeah, sadly, my mother's a teacher and I didn't know that word. So <laughs> John really humiliated John, me. You got to use it in the podcast. Now, Ridley. I can't. I, I, you saw I repeated it and John had to correct me again. <laughs> that, that's going to be the poll from this episode. Is this just going to be John Legend? I wake up in the morning and go, you know, today I could be like John Legend. And then I realize, no, I can't. <laughs> I want to say real quick and then I'm going to let Matt jump in. This album is on SoundCloud right now. So if you're listening, it's called Growing Up Black. Um, go to Hill Friedman Records on SoundCloud. Check it out because it's absolutely amazing. We're gonna and they make an album every year, so that was every the, year. That was the album for the film, but their predecessors in in the school have made albums, and then the people that came after them have made them as well. One cool thing about the album is everyone gets to contribute in various ways, right? Like you don't have to be a vocalist to contribute. You could be a songwriter. You could produce the track. So there's different entry points into like kind of making this album work for the different students. And I think that's important to point out. And what's really fun as a songwriter, John, is watching the process of songwriting because these young people, they most of them haven't written songs before and they have these mentors and teachers and guides through this process who have written a lot of songs. And what they're able to do is take the input from the kids and help them translate it into songs. And as someone who is a working songwriter and, and does this for a living, I saw that process and I saw... What really happens when we write songs, when we co-write songs together, that back and forth between each other and seeing it go from ideas, journal entries, uh, stories into songs, it was a really satisfying experience for someone who writes songs for a living. And a lot of times when I see music depicted in film, it feels a little fake and a little mm. like not authentic. <laughs> uh, but this felt like very authentic as a real songwriting process and you can see the journey of the song from idea to uh album well let's start to figure out some music what do we think would this be up tempo would this be mid tempo would this be fast would this be slow <laughs> do you feel that the happiness those butterflies and chattiness nice all right and open eyes you smell that the love the perfume and late nights through the lights the heavens the chattiness so let, let's talk about that journey that, that you see, because it starts, you have three, um, essentially three individuals. There's Crystal, there is Bethlehem, Andrew. and there's Ezekiel, if I'm getting that correct. And Amy, if you can, talk about, because it is from coming in and, and meeting these kids, as you say, all the way through the songwriting, the creating, and even up to the distribution process. So talk about how it begins. And one of the things I appreciated just watching it, I'm like, I was nervous. If somebody said, hey, pitch an idea, you know, open your mouth, say something, you wait for that. I don't want to go into a rabbit hole, but I will say this for a lot of folks, you know, creativity is oftentimes it's a negative expectation business. You know, we hear no a lot at, at almost every level. You know, if you're, if you're not Spielberg, if you're maybe not Jordan Peele, you, you hear that a lot. And for young people and young kids of color, 
sometimes that's that's life. You know, it's no for economic reasons. It's no for sociopolitical reasons. It's no for safety reasons. You know, don't don't do that. And what I love is these three individuals coming in, and it starts with yes, or it starts with there's an idea there, or it starts with you have more inside of you. And to me, that's the amazing thing. As an old black man going, oh, God, if I was in that classroom, the last thing I would do is what's a lyric? You know, can I do spoken word? Can I carry a tune? It's that power that you feel as an audience member that's really, really strong. But Amy, I'm going to let you talk about these individuals and then talk about how the kids even break down. Mike, you mentioned it. They do all different kinds of things, not just singing. You need a team to create music. Talk about how these kids become that team. Right. Well, as you mentioned, there are teaching artists, musicians who come into the classroom. It's a music tech 10th grade class run by Ezekiel Thurman, who's invited three musicians in, Crystal Oliver, Bethlehem Roberson, and Andrew Lipke, who are there to facilitate the music making with the kids. And the first thing they do is they ask kids to do a free write, which is a kind of creative writing assignment where the kids are asked to write what's on their minds, what's in their hearts and to unlock their deep feelings. You're right, they're being asked to be vulnerable. They're, the teaching artists create this supporting and loving and really warm environment where anything goes. They're, they're really like, yes, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, put it out there. We want to hear from you. One of the first days we were there where the teachers are asking the kids to share there's a young student, 15-year-old Diani, who's very insecure. She's Remember, the class is just back from the pandemic. They're, they've had all kinds of losses, and they're a little uncomfortable with each other. They're tentative. They're back in the group for the first time after so much absence. And Diani writes a song about God and her relationship to God, and she's very nervous about how this is going to be received by the class. She feels different. She feels like an outsider. And the teachers take what she's written and help her workshop it into a song. And one of the things that is so remarkable is that the classroom just comes to life. They rally behind her. The students are all supporting her. And that's the unique thing um, is this, this like camaraderie that emerges. As Mike mentioned this, they all have roles and they're working together as a group. And that's really rare and quite beautiful to see high school students who aren't always so supportive being so supportive of each other. And they're asked to really collaborate. That's the magic. You see this unique kindness, this community and love really emerge in the room. One of the things that's so unusual in a way is that this is a required class. These kids don't sign up for it, so they're really put on the spot. It's one thing if you're like, you know, say like Glee. Ooh, the TV show. Man, I want to be in Glee. Mm-hmm. These kids don't necessarily want to be there, and yet they discover something about themselves and their capacity to share their feelings, certainly, that you can see is, is really empowering and, and therapeutic. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, it makes an argument that this should be everywhere. Every school should have this. <laughs> because I, I think it's, it's, it's such, a, a, such a cool way for kids to learn more about music, but also to express themselves, to work together on a project. Learning to collaborate is such an important skill. Uh, learning to support each other, uh, teamwork, finding each other's strengths and playing to those. And, and just that group dynamic that we have in almost every project that we do in life, you know, I think those kinds of skills are so important for them to develop. And, and this is a great way to do it. 
And to John's point, really, the camaraderie that these kids foster is incredible. And it was evident in one specific moment. It didn't happen in the film, but during our premiere, two of the kids were rapping. And one of the kids forgot the rap. And you could imagine in real time, like in a live audience, like all kinds of shit could go on. Mm. But instead, the, the one kid just picked the other kid up. He's like, you got this, man. It's me and you up here. Let's go. And that's all that other kid needed to just get back into the rhythm and successfully deliver the rhyme. And I just felt like that at its core is what this program is all about. Fellowship, camaraderie, and artistry. And it was beautiful. And also the, the class is called Music Tech, which I found very interesting because, you know, we see that of like Crystal... She's at the computer as much as she is at the keyboard because that's such a huge part of, of it. And so this is a way also of captivating kids who, again, maybe they don't see themselves as songwriters or whatever, but they may say, wait a minute, this is really cool. Let me get on this auto-tune and start <laughs> clicking these buttons. Yeah, there's, there's so much tech that goes into music these days, especially just empowering kids to figure out where they fit in in that whole process. I think is really cool, too. If I knew that you didn't have to be a good singer to make an album, I would have been in the music business years. Ah, 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 ah. We won't get into that. I, I have my gripes with that, with that uh, condition of affairs. Vito, Vito, my bad. I, I will say, you know, one thing with, obviously, the Beatles coming out with this, whether a new song or not a new song, but using AI, I was reminded that, that groups like that back in the day, they loved technology. Um, and, and Hendrix, you know, loved Stevie it. Wonder and, and, loves technology. Yeah. yeah. And reminding people, I mean, one of the things that's really nice for me in, in film is if you can't act, pick up a camera. You know, if you can't act, but you're great with numbers, we need accountants. We need all of those different kinds of things. And it was really great to see that reminder that, as you say, you know, there were kids who were producing, there were kids who were working the boards, there were kids who were doing all these different things and being reminded that, you know, art is not just, you know, People like me who just sit in a corner and stare at the ceiling, go, okay, well, I got it. You know, I'm, I'm useless for anything else, but I'm good at that. That there is so much there. I, I went in, I don't know if these numbers are hard and fast, but they are kind of depressing. But as of the last few years, less than 25% of African-American students take art classes at all. Wow. And uh, this is from the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Look, I know we're aware of this. 88% of Americans believe in arts class but less than 15% of Americans feel like they want to pay to support it in one way, shape, or form. So we all understand how important that is. But I think sometimes if you don't, as your film does, really show people that art isn't just a way to uh, babysit kids. You know, here's some paint, sit in the corner. You know, here's, here's some music, sit in the corner. And, and just give the teacher a rest, give mom and dad a rest or whatever. Everything you're saying, teamwork, problem solving, empathy, to me, what was amazing, the range of music, obviously contemporary music, but there was somebody, you know, Henry Mancini, they love, <laughs> you know, um, we had Latin, Latin music, we had yeah. a, a, quite a range. And to get to your point, though, I think you were making a very important point about funding. We have to fund these things, you know, for them to exist. And a lot of times when priorities are being determined, I bet you if those same schools, you went to those schools, and found out if they had metal detectors and cops in the school. They have all that, but they don't have art. And so the question is, what are we conditioning our young people for? Like, those Black kids are being conditioned to go to prison because they're treating their schools like prisons. 
more than treating them like young minds that need to be stimulated, developed, and have something to offer to the world. And so we have to decide that we're done letting our Black kids be treated like prisoners in their schools and that they have minds that have something to contribute to the world and treat them like that. Fertile minds that have, have something to say, something to contribute, and that need to be stimulated and to be encouraged and developed. We need to put our funding, our money behind programs that do that. And so often there's that, that argument around, well, was it okay to talk about defund the police and all these things? But the bottom line is that entire conversation was about funding priorities and how we decide to spend money is a moral statement about what we value. And so if we don't value the minds of these young people and we are more concerned with more guns, more cops, more security measures than we are about more stimulation, more creativity, more outlets for these young people to express themselves, then we're going to reap whatever we sow into these kids. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know that it can be said better. And I get, you know, for you, there's the politics of it all. I don't mean, you know, the politics is is how we live our lives because we're part of that. But I got to imagine part of what you want to do at Get Lifted is not just proselytize to people, but show them something that they can't deny. When you see these young people, you know, dedicating the music to their, their, there's, there's one individual, he lost his grandfather. And his, his grandfather was, I may be getting in slightly off, but a, a mariachi singer, uh, mm-hmm. definitely a Mexican kind of music. And he said, I just want to get this for him. You know, I want to do this for him. And I want to know I got it right for him. And when you see not just that music is something that comes from their mouths, it comes from their heart because it's part of their family. It's part of their legacy. Um, it helped me understand their history and see people as people. It's so easy for all of us. I was talking about a film, Matt, a couple of weeks ago, we did King Cole where it made me realize, you know, Appalachia is not just some place, it's full of people. And what I appreciate with what you all are doing is not just putting together facts and figures. Um, I say this often, Roger Ebert would talk about film is, is a way to create an apparatus to deliver empathy. Yeah. And with this film, you delivered empathy. And honestly, I'm, I'm so glad you guys focus on documentaries, but especially documentaries give us a way to really look at the humanity of people and really like zoom in on their lives, on their stories. And it changes you when you observe, when you look with empathy, when you get inside people's minds and their stories, it really changes you. And we believe documentaries can be so powerful in that way. And we want more people to see this because it's going to be inspiring for them. They're going to feel good after watching it. But it's going to change them too. And I yeah, think Amy, when, there's one uh, real quick. I'm going to throw this to Amy. Um, there's within this documentary because it goes a little bit beyond a documentary. You actually do these like little mini music videos within the doc, where you get to see these kids. I mean, really performing, not just singing, but embodying um, all the things that you want to see in a music video: performance and engagement. That's really remarkable. Amy, talk about that. You, I imagine, you directed those as well. And that's a little bit different than doing a straight-up doc. Right. Well, the music videos, you know, we wanted to hear the songs. We weren't able to include all of the 30 songs that were on the album in the hour-long film. And so we picked three, 
And we made music videos of them so you could hear the full production value of a finished song. And we had a lot of fun with them. We filmed with the kids in the hallways of the school and made these great little music videos that just put a smile on your face. And, you know, we also wanted to, you know, the music is not only an outlet for the kids, it's also so beautiful for us to listen to these songs. So we wanted to show what pleasure they can bring to us and how they can entertain us as an audience. It felt like, you know, if we give kids resources, we also benefit. It puts a smile on our faces to hear these songs. And it feels like during such a bleak time in the world, we all need that. We all need to laugh. We all need a little joy. And the music videos were an attempt to give us um, an extra, I don't know, an extra zing of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a zing for sure. Mike, I'm, I apologize. I interrupted. Yeah, all I was going to say before was, you know, we, we, we hear the term music as a soundtrack of our lives. We hear that often. And I just think this movie and, and what we get to see in particular, like, talking about family and these kids, not only are they living within the soundtrack of their lives, but they're actually getting the opportunity to create the sounds and they're getting to go home to their families and share these moments with their families. And I just think that this program, at the John's point, like getting this program like become like national and just like required is something that will not only give our kids the skill set and the understanding of their artistry, but it gives them a real sense of pride and it gives them something to go back to every day when they go home and share with their family and share with their loved ones and create the soundtrack to their life. And I just think that's really important and really beautiful. I think one of the things that uh, I found so wonderful about the film is to observe the relationship between kind of the mentors, if you will, Crystal, Andrew, and Bethlehem, and the kids, and what they're able to draw out of them in this very supportive, collaborative way. And it made me wonder, for each of you, who inspired you? Who played that role in your lives? Well, for me... It was a woman named Linda Bodie. She was an English teacher at my school. She taught our AP uh, English class my senior year in high school, but she was also the director of the show choir and co-leader of the drama department at my school. And so just about any creative activity that we were involved in at school, she was involved in, whether it was writing essays in my AP English class or it was... uh, you know, being in the school musical or the school play or singing in the show choir, which I did. So having someone like that for me was so important. And I got to school. I, I'm, I'm sure every artist has this story of, you know, getting to school and feeling like an outsider in some way or feeling shy. But I had been homeschooled most of my um, grade school years and uh, I had skipped a couple grades as well. So I arrived at high school at the age of 12 and not really knowing any of the uh, other students. And I was very shy at the beginning of high school and felt very much like an outsider. And so I needed music and arts and creativity and that connection that it fostered for me to be uh, able to like connect with everyone else. And she was like the main person in my high school that helped me feel more confident and uh, make those connections. 
For me, it would probably be a combination of my mother and my godmother. They were two strong black women who who raised me right. And, um, you know, I grew up in a very white Jewish suburb and I was often the other or on my own, always felt different. And my godmother in particular was the person who ultimately sent me on the journey that, that I'm on now, which was when I was 18 years old and I was, or, sorry, 21 years old and debating on like life choices and where I wanted to go with my life. She's the person who said something quite simply to me. She just said, spread your wings, fly and let life guide you. Um, and I've lived my life like that ever since. It, some could say it's reckless sometimes, but I've always trusted my heart, trusted my gut, and let the wind beneath me kind of point me in the right direction. But if, if it was not for my Aunt Dory and my mother, Clara, um, I would not have a compass in life. So those are the two people for me that have shaped and molded me more than anyone. That's beautiful. For me, again, it was a my Philadelphia high school English teacher who really instilled this love of literature, of poetry, which it, it informs me to this day. And I think the film is just kind of captures that, that incredible magic of a high school teacher and how teachers can really change lives and just plant the seed of something that you never know what's going to happen. They don't, they don't know the journey that they're starting in these kids' lives. And for me, my English, my high school English teacher doesn't really know. Uh, maybe I'll reach out to him. But um, yeah, a tribute to um, great mentors and great teachers is really what this film is as well. We got to spend some time with some of the uh, teachers and leaders of the class and, and of the uh, program at the school. And I, I'm just so grateful for people like them who commit themselves to um, fostering creativity and growth in our next generation, I think is so important. And we've always got to shout them out and, and show our gratitude to them. As I mentioned, my mother, who's still with us, and my father, uh, is a teacher. And she, she actually uh, taught kids with uh, emotionally disturbed learning disabilities, had all kinds of kids, uh, actually had a really negative interaction with a, with a kid one day. And, and like you, Mike, Grew up, you know, I was born in the city and my parents moved us out in the suburbs. She had a negative interaction. I was very little. I said, Mom, you know, why don't you teach in the suburbs? Teach somewhere, quote unquote, safe. She looked at me and said, Don, if I'm not out there doing this, I can't depend on other people to be the person to do it. So um, my love of teachers, I got to see it every day. Um, what you all are doing, Amy, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, your resume is deep and rich and, and the rewards you received are well-deserved. You as a team with Get Lifted, it's really remarkable what you're doing. The film is Stand Up and Shout Songs from a Philly High School. It's streaming right now on uh, HBO, or I guess Max. Uh, Max. Or I don't know if there's still two different things. I don't know, but it's Max. It's HBO. You can find it. There are only 18 or 19 <laughs> streamers. HBO uh, Documentaries is still our home as a documentary-producing uh, company. Uh, but obviously the streaming uh, channel is Max now. It's Max. So let's go to Max yeah. and check it out. And also SoundCloud, because you want it. And John, you mentioned there are several albums there. The newest one is Growing Up Black. Uh, but there are several albums there. Check them out. It's on SoundCloud. It's really remarkable. I want to thank you all, Amy Schatz, Mike Jackson, and John Legend, for not just taking the time this morning, but as you say, for, for doing this work for bringing these, uh, these films and these stories in front of people and really advocating. It, it's remarkable to see people at, at such a high level. You all could be doing anything, but, but sometimes it's these things 
that are the most important thing. So, so thank you for that. Deeply appreciate it. Congratulations on the doc. Thank you all. Thank you, John and Matt. Thank you. Thank God. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. That was director Amy Schatz, producer Mike Jackson, and of course, John Legend talking about their film, Stand Up and Shout Songs from a Philly High School. Absolutely amazing what they put together. Yeah, I mean, and the music is really impressive with these kids. And, and you know, they get a lot of wonderful guidance and mentorship from the instructors as we see in the film. But this is music it really stands on its own, I think. It does. And we mentioned in the body of the program that you can listen to these tracks and they're multiple albums because they go back several years. You can listen to them on SoundCloud. Look for Hill Friedman Records. You can listen to these amazing songs. You can listen to years worth. And really, I mean, yeah, you got to support these kids. You've got to show the love because A, they're actually out doing the work and B, to sometimes know that your work is being heard or seen or felt. It doesn't have to be done by a million people, but knowing that you're touching the right people is sometimes the best feeling in the world. And I got to tell you, again, the world that we're living in, the end of the year that we're rolling up on, one of the albums I'm looking at now, Love and Healing, I think you can probably just put that on your rotation, mm. you know, get your get your mom wine, lay back and, and absolutely enjoy. Um, and I, I dare say that it was a fascinating pedagogical episode of Dog Talk, if I could put it that way. We learned so much, <laughs> including vocabulary. <laughs> I just have to learn how to use it correctly in a sentence now, because I'm going to walk into a store and just use it wrongly. Where's the pedagogical section? Uh, you mean where the pedicure, sir? I'll take that. Um, I, think it, I think it comes from the Greek, I'm going to say. Stop. I don't know if that's helpful or not. But <laughs> Matt, I know, see, your career, you, I, the word I use all the time is rigorous. There are people who are rigorous like you, and there are people who are, and I, I have no problem saying this, I'm not rigorous. So I'm stupid. I have the grades to prove it, but I've chosen a career where my stupidity actually allows me to get ahead. So when people like you and John Legend start dropping big words, you know, that's <laughs> in public, you know, it's like being a, a, a high hurdler and you hit that hurdle and tumble. Yeah, you may be at the Olympics. All anybody cares about is that you fell. By the way, speaking of people that I'm dying to talk to and are worthy of having a conversation with, holidays are coming up. We're taking a little bit of a break, but I'm excited because I'm going to have a conversation with you, Matt Carey, about the end of the year, docs that have made the shortlist, things that surprised you one way or the other, but also, you know, what struck you. I don't think there's anybody, and I don't say this disrespectfully to anybody out there, who knows more, seen more, who loves docs more than you. And I'm really curious, in, in, at the end of our first Demi year of working together, what has struck you, what has stayed with you, what has moved you, what you're excited about, and what has surprised you. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are. Uh, absolutely. And it's certainly exciting to see the Oscar shortlists come out and they winnowed down, uh, you know, from well over 100 documentaries down to the final 15 feature documentaries that are still in competition for the Oscars. And that doesn't mean they picked every single one that yeah. you and I think are worthy of attention and, and fantastic documentaries. But we'll get into that into some granular detail, I hope. Can I put you on the spot real quick? Yes, sir. Okay. What do you think will be the biggest surprise about the shortlist? I think the biggest surprise will, will be 
more international films than a lot of people expect. The international contingent membership of the documentary branch has grown pretty exponentially in recent years, and they will be heard from, and they're going to have their favorites that are, in many, some cases anyway, are not ones that people have been thinking about that much. They may be films that actually don't even have distribution in the U.S., mm. but they have a great eye for content, and they make sure that filmmakers who aren't necessarily on everyone's radar in the U.S., are given their due. So I think we're going to have some interesting international contenders. Well, I'm, I'm seriously looking forward to that conversation with you. Matt, I hope you have a terrific holiday season. Um, I want to take a moment to thank our, our respective teams at No Studios who work tirelessly to put this together, as well as all the folks at Deadline yes, thank you. who help get this out, um, help people be aware of it. Um, I ask you, you know, off mic, before, if I'm a little too enthusiastic sometimes, I love documentaries. I love filmmakers who just go out and make things. So I apologize if I get fired up, but this is one of the things I live for. No apology is necessary. And I think the filmmakers appreciate the support and it's genuine. That's the thing. You're not feigning interest in these documentaries. You and I both are, are choosing them in almost every case because they're films we've seen and we think are outstanding and deserve attention uh, on their own merits. So I, I think that's great for the field, and I appreciate the enthusiasm. Well, it, it's been great so far. I hope that you have a terrific holiday season, Matt. I Thank wish you. the best to all of our listeners and everybody out there, and I'm excited to get back and get back to more Doc Talk. Everybody, um, very happy holidays to all, and we'll see you in the new year on Doc Talk.